This is Jewish Board Talk with Sheree Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Nakama Browdy is an acclaimed author, journalist, and occasional lecturer at the Wits University School of Journalism. She has become interested in the resurgence of white right-wing supremacism, and she has been particularly vocal following the horrific attacks on worshippers in Christchurch Mosque last month. She joins me now to discuss whether we are seeing a resurgence of white supremacy in South Africa. Nakama, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Nakama, what is your interest in white supremacy? When did you become interested in the topic? Um, so I think I look at it from a South African perspective, but what has become apparent in media studies over the last several years is that this is a globally connected phenomenon. Um, so let me start at the beginning, is that sort of six years ago, I started reporting on claims that were being made in South Africa that were alleging that there was a white genocide happening here. And I can tell you from really extensive research over multiple years that no such thing is happening. Right? We live in a very violent, high-crime society. It affects all of us. It affects black South Africans much more than white South Africans. It affects colored South Africans much more. White and Indian South Africans are most likely to think that they are at risk of crime, despite the fact that they are the least likely to be at risk of crime. Um, but those are a whole bunch of other things. So when I started researching um, claims around white genocide at the time, and I was at, at that time I was working for Africa Check. People can still read the report online. Um, we finished the report, and this is now in 2013, saying the problem with claims like this is that they incite racial hatred and a whole bunch of other negative things, and they really uh, block us from finding solutions to this incredible criminal problem that affects all of us so badly. And since then, I've spent the last five or six years researching media coverage of uh, violence for my PhD, which I've just completed. Congratulations. And Well, I still have to be examined, but it's been submitted, so... Um, but as looking at part of that, um, and also I worked with Africa Check as a fact checker and as a trainer there for, for five years, um, we look at media patterns and we look at media trends. And in the wake of Christchurch, um, what we saw there was we saw the shooter um, citing on his, own, on his kind of manifesto a number of uh, sources, a number of uh, ins- inspirations, people who he followed, people who he looked at. And when we look at him, when we look at um, – the mass shooter in Norway, when we look at um, Dylan Roof in America, when we look at so many different acts of violence by white men um, against usually off, often Muslim congregations or black congregations, Jews as well. We see the Pittsburgh shooting. We see that a lot of these men, um, and they are predominantly men, um, have a lot in common in terms of uh, what they're reading, what their network is online. And this really links back to the work that I was doing five or six years ago, where we are seeing a common language emerge. Now, is white supremacism growing? I don't know. Um, part of me thinks that perhaps it was there all along. But what has happened over the last few years is it's become more socially acceptable to speak it out loud. And we're seeing this even in South Africa. We are seeing people feeling very bold to um, particularly speak against Jews um, in a number of different ways in the same language of Nazi Germany. Right, so if we want to use that as our as our starting point, white supremacism predates Nazi Germany. So, of course, so maybe we should just at this point define what we mean by white supremacism. So I don't think that there is a clear definition, and this is hard. What is the difference between a white supremacist and a racist? Um, there are so many grey areas there, and, and this is an. But we should be having these conversations. The other thing is that 
since the election of Donald Trump in the United States, I think that we are struggling to find terminology that encapsulates what is happening with particularly right-wing white movements, okay? And white supremacism is not necessarily in itself right-wing, but generally its proponents tend to be that side of the spectrum. And for years, people have been banding around, do we call them neo-Nazis? Do we call them alt-right? Do we, what do we call these people who hate everyone except for white people? Um, and so white supremacist seems to be the current word that we're using in the wake of Christchurch. But again, I think all of these people are pretty much the same people. They're horrible people. Um, and we know that. Inherently, we know that. And, and what, what strikes me is so strange, uh, you know, as a student of history and as a student of media is – I commented to somebody last night, this is 2019, not 1939. Why are we still having conversations about how it's not really okay to go online and say six million wasn't enough? And yet this is an environment in which people feel that it is okay to start saying those sorts of things out loud. And the Internet is playing a very big part in this. And this is where mm. I go back to my research on the myth of white genocide in South Africa. And we see that these claims, that the false claims that there is a white genocide in South Africa have been cited by multiple mass shooters in multiple locations as a sort of a justification, as a motivation for their act of retribution, their act of vengeance. This is why they're doing it, because white people are under some terrible threat. There are two sort of theories around white genocide. The one in South Africa is that whites are being targeted because of the color of their skin. And then we see in Europe and North America and more Western countries that whites are being the gen the white genocide is happening through assimilation. White people are having interracial relationships. Black people and brown people are outbreeding white people and this is a terrible threat to to whites everywhere. Um, and these are all sort of part of the narratives that we're now calling as a white supremacist. This year's alt right or this year's neo Nazi. Um so they're all connected because they all read about South Africa. Apartheid South Africa is a white supremacist ideal. This is their sort of um, Valhalla was what, what South Africa did during apartheid was excellent as far as they are concerned. And we're seeing um, South African motifs, the South African flag, um, even sometimes the old Rhodesian flag being used by people. Um, there are people who reuse the names of old apartheid commandos uh, in America. You know, so so South Africa is a very important part of this global narrative, and I think people are not maybe aware of that. We sort of think that, oh, we're just – it doesn't matter. And this brings us back to something that I said six years ago, which is when you're making false claims or whatever, words matter tremendously. And we're seeing now the impact of these cycle of words that have been iterated and repeated and echoed, and they've become stronger. So now people hear it so often it must be true. We're going to stop there only because we have to, Nakama. Um, and I'm quickly going to tell you about Pick and Pay Nord. And then after the break, Nakama, let's revisit the topic of South Africa and what you're saying about has it been there all along and is it just more acceptable now? And maybe bring in America and its president as um, an influencer, yes or no? This is Jewish Board Talk with Sheree Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. And I'm talking to Nahama Brody, and we are talking about the topic of white supremacy in South Africa. Um, you were saying earlier, Nahama, that maybe it's always been there, but it's become more socially acceptable to speak about it. And you're also pointing to a global world of this. Um, what do you think has changed? Uh, so I think that what we're seeing now is an environment where, first of all, people have pockets um, where they can find like-minded people. So it's easy to find – maybe 
10 years ago, it would be a bit harder in South Africa. Let's say you can't just walk in a room and assume that every other white person there is going to be racist. Although I'm sure like many people here, there is often an assumption. I've had many late nights when I used to work in printing where somebody would stand there and make a a racist joke and assume that because you were white, you must obviously find that really funny. Um, But now the Internet has allowed people to find like-minded racists, bigots, Nazis and that sort of stuff very easily. But there again, what the Internet has also done is it's sort of enabled networking of communication. And what I did in the wake of Christchurch was I looked particularly at um, the popularization of the term white genocide as one of the significant terms used by white supremacists or alt-right, whoever you want to call them, um, and found that South Africa played a very important role in its genesis, not its actual origination. That predates you know, South Africa in the last however many years. It's been, the the term has been around for a while. But where we start seeing it become used, uh, becoming used uh, commonly in the media is from South Africa. So before 2010, the term almost never appears. I did a media search using a whole bunch of different media platforms globally and uh, locally. Um, It appears once in the New York Times, maybe in the last 20 years. But from 2010, we start seeing the the phrase white genocide as a coherent phrase appearing in South African media. And that is in direct response to, if anybody remembers, before the World Cup in 2010, a group of right-wing Afrikaner lobbyists claiming that there was going to be this machete race war and that all these terrible things were going to happen. We forgot in the wake of Philip and, you know, everything being wonderful that there was this whole uh, there was a conspiracy theory that things were going to all fly, you know, off the handle, and they didn't. It, it took a while longer. Um, but from that time, from 2010, we start seeing the phrase white genocide being used more frequently. And the first time we start seeing it mentioned in foreign press, and I'm only searching English press, is in reference to South Africa. Okay, so that's so they're referring to these claims that are being made in South Africa or the debunking of these claims. And from there, then we start seeing sort of by the late 20 teens, it starts to make its way through probably, I would say, Reddit boards, sites like Alex Jones, Infowars, those sorts of sites. It starts gradually making its way into more mainstream conversation outside of South Africa and often in reference to South Africa. But we see the phrase being used again and again and again um, to the extent that it's now incredibly common. And what I saw a couple of years ago, just after the election of Trump, was there's a particularly unpleasant character in the States called Mike Cernovich. Um, and I'm, I, I won't swear, but I apologize if there's any children listening. But, I mean, he believes his semen is super juice and that, you know, consent is not necessary to have sex with a woman. And your, well, he's, he's not a great guy. Um, but he started posting about the white genocide in South Africa and how he was going to ask Trump to become South Africa's amb- the ambassador to South Africa so he could fight this. And this is now 2016. And we see even by the end of last year, Trump himself starts tweeting about the problem of, well, he doesn't use white genocide, but he uses farm murders and farm attacks, which is a shorthand for the same kind of narrative. So we see how South Africa is intersecting with and playing a role in a global stage where the same narrative is being repeated over and over again and these words are being shared and so as Jews we should hopefully all know that words have power Um, if we look at sort of histories of massacres against Jews they didn't usually start with mobs and pitchforks they usually started with words and accusations or descriptions of Jews as being dirty, slovenly, uh, dishonest thieves, those sorts of things so words matter, we as a group should really really understand how much words matter, what troubles me now is to see how many people are defending uh, Nazi statements uh, white supremacist statements as being free speech. When you say are defending who are you talking about? Um, so last night on Twitter, I uh, see that one of the leaders of the Purple Cow Party, and I'm going to refrain from making sort of political judgments here, 
uh, or value judgments, but um, had a not a podcast, but a sort of a Skype a Google Hangout with a um, a tweeter who has repeatedly posted not just anti-Semitic statements, but has literally said, "I wouldn't kill baby Hitler. I would let him grow up and tell him that six million wasn't enough." Mm-hmm. And so one of the Roman, uh, what I can't pronounce, I won't um, say his surname because I don't like. Uh, broadcasting it, but um, people can find it if they look on Twitter. There's a lot of information about that there. So he had a whole interview with a guy who's who who spoke about a tribe that's responsible for negative things. Now we know what tribe mm. that means. It's not, and he and he didn't challenge this guy's um, statements. He just let him carry on talking, and in fact encouraged him. If you watch um, the interview, so. And then when I challenged that and several other people challenged that, they were like, no, you're clamping down on free speech and um, people, you know, people have the right to say what they want to say. And interviewing a Nazi is not the same as being a Nazi. And I'm sort of like, well, you know, there's a level of complicity that we all understand um, that and even Germany understands. Germany understands that there were many Germans who were not members of the Nazi party, but who stood by and did nothing, who allowed Nazis to have a platform. And if you stand by and do nothing, you are complicit in that crime. Nakama, we have like less than one minute remaining, but in terms of what would you like to see the community do? Speak out against it and speak out against not just hate speech against uh, Jews, but against anybody else that's being targeted by white supremacists, by alt-rights, by Nazis, because we know that if they are coming for anybody else, they are coming for us. And Jews more than anybody else should understand that. We have to stand up against this. It's not okay. Well, Nechama, thank you so much. Um, I hope to have you as my guest again. I know you talk about lots of different things, not only this. And um, now that you know where we are, <laughs> we will be doing this again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. That was Nechama Brody, um, acclaimed author, journalist and lecturer. Thank you to all of you for joining me. If there's anything on the show you'd like to comment on, you can email me on sharice at sajvd.org. Thank you to Evelyn and Craig for producing. I will not be with you next week, um, but I wish you all a Chag Pesach Sameach. And we'll speak again after Pesach. Shabbat Shalom.